Nehemiah chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning, that's where we're landing, uh, that's, where we're, um, that's where our text is today. I cannot wait uh, to get to the end of this sermon, um, but I want to read the first few verses of Nehemiah chapter 4 to you. We find Nehemiah in chapter 1 praying, then we see him in chapter 2 receiving a call, and then we see last week that the construction of the wall had begun. And we talked about last week how to work well with other people. How many of you thought about that as you were at work this past week? Working well with other people. One person. Hallelujah. Okay, very good. And the Word of God will not return void. First, chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sambalat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now, let's just pause right there. Leave that verse up there for a couple minutes. Ken, how many of you know that when you're doing something for the Lord, not everybody's going to like it? Okay, right? And we've got to come to grips with this as the church because for so many of us, let me let the, let me, spoiler alert, we're talking about discouragement today, okay? All right? So many of us get discouraged and even to the point of quitting because when we start doing something, not everybody's a fan of it. Right? Not everybody's a fan of it. Now, we need to, we need to receive, because I'm a, I'm a visionary, and, and so, you know, Kristen oftentimes will say she is, she is my balloon popper, right? That, that, that I'll come in with this, this grand vision and all of that, and she starts asking questions, and then, whoosh, right? The balloon just loses all of its air, right? But, but I need that in my life, and that's not discouragement, right? That's refining the vision, Okay, so we can't see refining the vision as discouragement, but here in Nehemiah chapter 4, this is discouragement. Some Sambalat, right, heard that they were rebuilding the wall, and then boom, greatly enraged, right, angry uh, that, that they were rebuilding the wall. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they get it done in time? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Notice how he's asking questions and trying to sow seeds of discouragement through those questions. We're going to look at each one of those in just a minute. Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O oh, our God. Now, notice that? Notice that. Hang on. Notice that? Right? When one person starts getting, when, when one person starts sowing seeds of doubt, other people just jump right on that ship. Yeah, a fox could jump on that wall and then the whole thing would crumble. It's not stable at all. The people didn't receive proper training. They can't do this in the time frame that they were supposed, that they're saying that they could do it. And then other people just jump right on that bandwagon of negativity and discouragement. You see that? Now, I know this hasn't happened to any of you in this room over anything. But bear with me as we get through the rest of this message, okay? Hear, O oh our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. That sounds nice. Plundered. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6. So 
we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I love that. So we built the wall, and all the people had a mind to work. I heard an old preacher one time say this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies, probably because they're generally the same people. And in the case of the Jews rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, this was certainly true. And so in this chapter, we find that the people of Jerusalem are surrounded by hostile enemies. They're they're jeering. They're angry on all four sides, coming at them from all four directions. And it's their neighbors who do their best to discourage them from continuing the work that God has called them to do. So, how we deal with our problems, how we deal with our discouragement, how we deal with these things says more about our character than most anything else. How you are on your worst day, how you are on, when, when everything is crumbling down says more about our character than anything else. If we want to know what a person is really like, watch them when things go wrong. Watch them when they're tired. Watch them when they're hangry. Right? Watch when they're hangry. Some of you are like, I'm almost there, Pastor. Speed it up. Okay? When they're imposed on, when they're, when they're made to wait, when they're, when they're asked to be patient, when someone cuts them off in traffic, when they're tired, when they're achy, when they're, when they're done, right? In order to see someone's true character. Right? So, first thing I want to look at, what are the sources of discouragement? Well, we see some right here in this text, okay? Some sources of discouragement. A source of discouragement is negative talking, right? Criticism. Sam Ballot's upset. He's the governor of a nearby territory who no doubt feared the potential of a strong Jerusalem emerging as a threat to his territory. Notice, most people get negative when you become a threat to them, Amen. In fact, in fact, in fact, most of it probably has nothing to do with you. It's a jealousy of what you've got. Hopefully that preached to somebody. It's obvious. It's obvious that Nehemiah and these Jews, they were bought into this project. They were serious about this project. They were, they were, they were trying to, to get this thing done. And, and, and Sam Ballot comes and he's upset about it. And so he resorts to kind of this trash talking. Right? This, this, this critical speech, this critical talking, he, he resorts to it. And how does he do it? By asking questions. Again, what are these feeble Jews doing? If you want to trash talk someone, if you want to criticize someone, put down their qualities. That's what Sam Ballot is doing here. What are these feeble Jews doing? He's putting them down, right? Feeble Jews. If you want to criticize someone, put down their ambitions. Will they, have the, will they have the ability? Could they even restore this wall is a question that he asks. So he puts, he puts down their ambitions because they had felt called to this. They're doing the work. They're focused on their area. They're doing the thing. And Sam Ballot's like, you even going to be able to do this? If you want to criticize someone, put down their optimism. 
Someone believes that something can happen. Someone believes that, that it can be done. Sam Bell says, will they offer sacrifices? Is this even going to be able to, is this even going to, be able to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish as a temple? Is this even going to be able to, to, to happen? Well, if you want to criticize someone, try to tear down their enthusiasm, right? Their enthusiasm. Now, this is a tough one, right? Because, because you know, how long you think it's going to take you to do a project versus how long it actually takes you to do a project, there's a difference there, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I will never forget when we first moved into, uh, when we first moved into our house in 2012, we had to do some things to, to the bathrooms to make them kind of, kind of suitable. Um, we didn't have a bathtub at the time, and so I, I became a plumber in a day, right? I, just, I just knew that I could do this. I felt really confident that I could do this and, 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 and thought to myself, man, our kids will be taking baths by tonight in this bathroom. Like, this is easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? I got this. Three months later and two professionals later, and more money than I had ever planned on spending later. They took a bath. They were stinky kids. <laughs> right? But, you, but, but Sam Ballas says, are, are they going to finish it in a day? Really? You think they're going to finish it in a day? Causing that doubt. I've told this story before, but we used to do an Easter egg hunt down in North Carolina. Year after year after year, we'd have thousands of people come to this Easter egg hunt. We would do it at a park, and, 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 and we had really one shot to do it. It was always the Saturday before Easter, and, we were, and, and, so, and so there was no rain date. There was no making this thing up, and we already had 10,000 eggs that were stuffed with candy, and we were ready to spread them, and we were ready to make this thing happen. And my pastor and I were walking around uh, to make sure that everything was, was fit and ready to go. And we had this Sam Ballot that was right next to us. There was not a cloud in the sky except for one. And he was walking around as we were checking to make sure volunteers were in their places and to make sure that all of the things were said and that the hot dogs were on the grill and all of these different things. And Sam Ballot otherwise known as Joey, was right next to us. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. I just know it's going to rain. It's going to rain. The weather says it's going to rain right at the time that we're supposed to start. You see that cloud right there? It's going to rain. And my pastor showed such restraint in that moment to not strangle him with the love of Jesus. And finally, we, we redirected Joey, because sometimes you've got to do that with a sand ballot, right? You've got to redirect them. You've got to send them to Dylan, who just has way more patience than you in that moment, right? Or send them to, you know, send, send them. I'm, I'm thinking about forwarding all of, my, all of my spam risk and telemarketing calls to Dylan, because he's just much better at handling it than I am. Right? And so, 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 so Pastor Jimmy redirected Joey in another direction. And it didn't rain. He was so sure it was going to rain. He was so sure that he knew what he was talking about. But how many times have you just thought to yourself, sheesh, I wish this Sam Ballot would just read the room. Right? Read, read the room. We got 10,000 Easter eggs. 
We got people lining up. We got volunteers here ready. We got t-shirts for this thing. This thing is happening whether that cloud produces rain or not. And so your criticism just ain't necessary. So in the love and name of Jesus, put the shut to the up and just go somewhere else. (laughs) And that's essentially what Nehemiah did here. Right? Because all of this discouragement, all of these questions, right? That Sam Ballard is bringing up, questioning their ambitions, questioning their enthusiasm, trying to make them doubt themselves and everyone around them doubt. He, 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 even, he even goes, lastly, can they bring these stones back to life? Is this even possible? What was he not considering? He was looking at the situation right in front of him, but he wasn't considering the God in the Jews. He wasn't considering the God call in Nehemiah. Sure, practically, right in front of him, it was crazy. There's no way this is going to work. There's no way they can finish it. And as I, as I look in the Old Testament, as we're reading, right, we got the parting of the Red Sea. We've got all of these things happening, miracle after miracle after miracle, plague after plague after plague. And yet the Israelites lose heart so quickly, and yet we are just the same, aren't we? Because we look at the situation as it is in front of us, as it unfolds in front of us, and we don't consider the power of God in it. That's the variable that we can't measure. Yet we have to consider the most. Y'all with me? That is the variable that you can't see, but you must consider that this could happen, right? Ezekiel. I wasn't even planning on going here. Y'all okay if I preach this on Super Bowl Sunday? That all right? What time's the pregame? <laughs> Ezekiel standing in front of a valley of dry bones. And God asking Ezekiel. Now this is a little bit different because it's God asking the question. Right? But what's he doing? He's testing the faith of Ezekiel. I think Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel something. Google it. God looks at Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Who remembers Ezekiel's response? God, you know. I don't know. I'm just doing what you told me to do. I'm just where you want me to be. These bones look pretty dry. They've been dead for a while. But if you want these bones to live, God, it's your power. You know. Right? You know. And so that's the variable, the, that's the variable that Sam Bow is not considering here is he's asking these questions, trying to stir and cause this doubt in the people that are doing the work, and the people that are responding to the call. God, you know. God, you know. We would serve ourselves well before we get discouraged and before we get far down the road of thinking about and wanting to quit or give up or throw in the towel of anything. We would do well to consider, am I operating in my own strength here? Or am I considering the power of God in the situation? God, you know. 
God, you know. God, you know if you can heal this marriage. God, you know if you can give me the grace to forgive this person and sit under their teaching. God, you know. You know if you can make this building happen. God, you know. You know. If you can give Mahomes' ankle the strength to make it 60 minutes tonight to take care of business. God, you know. God, you know. Right? So, discouragement. A source of discouragement is not only negative talking, but let's, let's, look, at, let's look at two more here. Threats. Verses 7 and 8, when Sambal and Tobiah and the, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the, excuse me, and the Ashdodites, Ash, hmm, thank you, sorry, wow, I got blurry there and I thought it said something different than, okay, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. This guy needs a hug. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So not only does discouragement come from critical speech or negative talking, it comes from threats. Right? These, 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 uh, uh, these, these Jews under, under Nehemiah's rule, they determined to go beyond the ridicule. ridicule. And they make a show of force that they're going to continue this wall. And then they get threats. What about this? Verses 10 through 12. Maybe this has happened to you. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. A source of discouragement is negative talking. A source of discouragement is threats. Obviously, that was pretty serious. And then lastly, a source of discouragement is burnout. Is it not? We see that some of these Israelites were just plain tired, fatigued. The strength of those working on the wall is giving out. There was frustration. There's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. We can't get to the thing. And then there was fear because they were worried about the threats that have just been made to them. And for all of the excitement that we see in chapter 2 of Nehemiah responding to the call, going on his overnight recon mission to check all the things out and the unified work that we saw last week in chapter 3, we really get to see the reality of the situation in chapter 4. That people were getting discouraged by the speech, but they continued. They were getting threats, but they continued. But the, but the one that just jumps out to me was the burnout. Listen to me, family. This is serious. I, I, can, I can hold up. I can hold up to people being entitled to their wrong opinions and saying whatever they need to say. I've been in this long enough to hear just about everything that you can hear. People telling me, 
I don't belong here. People telling me I'm not old enough to do this. People telling me I'm not qualified. People telling, whatever. I, 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 that, that does water off the bat. I can hold up to threats. Right? I, I, I can, I, I don't give much validity to that. Maybe it's just because I'm big and dumb. I don't feel threatened by a lot of things except heights and spiders. Don't get any ideas. I told you the story about the cricket. But if there's a spider, don't move on. But if we get to the place of burnout, that's dangerous. That's scary to me. And like in a marriage... I say this to every couple that I counsel, premarital, or that comes to me uh, um, um, after the fact, right? And then maybe they're struggling, or maybe they're just doing some marriage maintenance or whatever, right? I, I, I tell couples that every, every person has a love tank, right? Every person has a tank. And that you, as the husband or wife, are responsible for the, 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 the fuel level in that tank, right? right? Kristen does a phenomenal job of looking at me and saying, you need a nap, Right? She does a great job of doing that. I don't do as well of a job at that because she is, is very good at advocating for her own naps. Okay? But, I, but we're responsible for that. Let me tell you something. In the body of Christ, you're responsible for that in the person near you. I believe that. We've got to do a better job making sure that the person around us isn't being burnt out in life. Whether that's burnt out in parenting, burnt out at the workplace, burnt out in their marriage, burnt out at church, right? And serving. We, because, because we have this philosophy in the church for many, many years that we've bought into. You sign up to serve somewhere, you're signing up for life. Right? You're signing up for life. And let me tell you something, fam. We've seen too many people burn out and tap out, not because they were disqualified from ministry, but they were just plain tired and needed a nap. Needed a nap. And this is the one that scares me the most for the church of Jesus. From this text. Because if you, get if you get tired and disenchanted from serving the body of Christ and fulfilling the call that He has on your life, it's hard to get that back. There's relationships that you lose in the process. There's pain. Not to mention that it's just a downright scary place to be. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you feel fatigued and you feel frustrated and you feel the fear of continuing, then I challenge you, I encourage you, I beg you, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Because the lie that you're telling yourself, the lie that you're telling yourself is you're Superman or woman. And you can handle it. And you got this. And you don't need help because other people need more help. Or maybe you're not worth the help. 
And don't buy into that lie. I have. And it's a hard truth to come to grips with, and don't tell my kids this, but it's a hard truth to come to grips with that you're not Superman. Don't pop that bubble for them yet because they still think I am in some ways. But you're not. The beauty of the gospel, which we're going to talk about this in a minute, so here's the conclusion of the message today, but we've got a little bit of work to do before we get there. But the beauty of the gospel is this, that the gospel is not just for people that don't believe in Jesus. The gospel's for every person in this room. Because you know what the gospel says? The gospel is a fancy word that we use for the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel says that you need Jesus moment by moment, decision by decision, circumstance by circumstance, situation by situation. You are not enough in your own strength. We just sang about it, didn't we? Not I, but Christ in me. That's the thing that Sam Ballot wasn't considering. And that's the thing that each and every one of us don't give enough credit to. That apart from him, we can do nothing. So, how do we respond to threats? How do we respond to negative talking? How do we respond to burnout? I'm glad you asked. The responses are all through this text. When you're discouraged, the first thing you've got to do, stop and pray. Before you text, before you call, before you, before you email, but before you do anything, stop and pray. Look at verses 6 and 15. Let's just, let's, let's just look at Nehemiah's responses here as we go. It was hard for me to not stop and talk about this earlier. Verse 6, so we built the wall. In response to all the negative speech and all the wall joined together for half its height, for the people had a mind to work. What does that mean? They remembered the call of God, and the call of God was bigger than the negativity and the skepticism that they were hearing through the questions that St. Ballot was asking. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. He says in verse 14, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. What a beautiful picture. When you're discouraged, pray. Pray. Pray for God to be in the situation. Secondly, persevere. Verse 6 says, the people worked with all their heart. You're welcome. All of these are going to begin with P. I worked really hard on that. Okay. We all returned to the wall. Verse 21 says, we continued the work. In fact, we see in verse 21, a redoubling of their efforts that still the, until the stars came out. Quitting time would normally be sunset, but they worked later than that because they had such a desire to get the job done from the Lord. There was an urgency to the work. So not only did they pray, but they persevered. Number three, they planned. They got a plan together. They didn't just fly by the seat of their pants in their discouragement. They didn't just, they didn't just start you know, running amok of, 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 of battling or anything like that. They, they planned. Nehemiah took the concerns and the fears of the people into account. 
He didn't bash them or merely say, you know, you know, get up, don't be such a wimp. Nehemiah carefully planned the use of his people. Positioning them to show a force at the most vulnerable points of the wall. A system of rallying people together in the case of an attack. An organization of the people into a force that would be ready. He took the time to do things well and in an organized fashion. And listen to me, I believe that pleases God. I believe that pleases God. There was a plan in the midst of the discouragement. There's a plan in the midst of the discouragement. Listen, if you're, if you're, if you're at a place of discouragement this morning, listen, you didn't get here overnight, you're not going to get out of here overnight. And so stop trying to find the magic sauce or the magic cup of coffee or what have you to get out of it and to wake up. Chance, chances are God's got you on a process and a plan that you need to get on board with and stop fighting. Stop kicking and screaming and maybe submit to His leadership over your life thinking that you've got a better plan when really you have no plan. I'm not really sure of everything I just said right there, but I think it was good. Next, look at verse 14. He says, I looked and arose, said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now, what does that tell us? Be positive. Two things here that just jump out that are super important. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. And His promises are true on your best day and His promises are true on your worst day. But remember the promises of God. Preach that good news of Jesus to yourself that you need Him and that you're not enough without Him. And then the second thing, fight. As Nehemiah's second word to the people, the Bible's not soft, is it? He says, fight for your families. If the need arises, fight for, fight for one another. I think that's beautiful. Fight for the unity of the people around you. Fight for the unity of your small group. Fight for the unity of the church. And then lastly, we see it in verse 9. He says, and we prayed for our God. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. 21 through 23. Ken, how you doing? Follow me. Is he doing okay, everybody? All right, good. So we labored at the work, 21 through 23, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. They were committed to this thing. Look at verse 23. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took our clothes off. Each kept his weapon in his right hand. They were prepared. They were prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. One of the things that I believe God taught me at the beginning of the pandemic back in 2020 
Jesus, when he began his ministry, he was baptized. You remember what happened right after he was baptized? He went into the wilderness. See, many of us associate the wilderness with struggle, discouragement, despair, all of that. You know what I believe Scripture equates the wilderness to? Preparation. Training. I had to go to that place so I could get to this place. And so you may be sitting here this morning in a time of wilderness Wondering, man, why are things so dark? Why are things so down? Why are things so desperate? Why are things so, so urgent? Why, 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 why? You, you may be sitting here thinking something's wrong with you. You might be right where God wants you to be because he's preparing for you something in the coming days, weeks, hours, years, decades. I, I don't know when it is. You don't know when it is. He does. His promises are that he does. For I know the plans I has for you. Plans, I know the plans I has for you. Good, good English. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. A hope and a future. And so you may be in a wilderness time this morning and be right exactly where God wants you to be as he's preparing you for what he has next for you in your life and the people around you. Now, the worship team is going to come and I want to close with this verse. Because I don't know about you, but I needed it. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20. Nehemiah is preparing them. They're making plans. They're, they're doing all these things. They're, they're responding to the negativity, to the threats, to the burnout. They're responding to all of it. In verse 20, And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. So the response, so we labored at the work ahead. And one of the commentaries I was reading in preparation for this week, I want to read this to you. That's all right. I got the microphone, so you really don't have a choice. It's titled, Jesus Has Won. This, then, is Nehemiah's plan for contending while building. He's not paralyzed but fear, but makes wise plans to defend the city at the same time as pushing on with the rebuilding. We see the principle of combining defense with development. But the most fundamental part of Nehemiah's plan is the last thing he says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20. Our God will fight for us. The people, that, the people just didn't uh, put on war clothes and strap swords to their sides. They understood that God was the one that actually did the fighting. Even when they threw out their arms to fight, it was really God's arm over theirs. Cutting at the things they couldn't see. And in fact, he had already frustrated their enemy's plans. You may already think of life as a fight, full of struggle and pain, difficulty and danger. You may be used to fighting on your own, but when we're fighting for the cause of Jesus, it makes the battle so much easier. Because we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. You see, Jesus has already won. After all, the greatest place where we see the principle of defense and development played out is on the cross. 
Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In other words, the enemy had bullets, but Jesus took the bullets out of the gun. The cross is a defensive weapon that has disarmed the evil one. But the cross is also a tool of development. Romans 1.15, Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Why does he say he wants to preach the gospel to Christians? Because it's not only a defensive weapon. The gospel is not just something that saves unbelievers. It's also for us to develop and to rebuild us. It doesn't just save us, but it also transforms us. It keeps us safe and takes us to new heavens and to new earth, to the one who died for us. So lastly, we must recognize that Nehemiah 4, 19 and 20 ultimately point to Jesus. That when Jesus is the center of our why, he empowers us to keep going. We can follow him and his work by contending while building. We can build and fight to the glory and honor of Jesus. It's quite a fascinating picture, isn't it? That if you think about these folks that are rebuilding the wall, they've got one hand rebuilding the wall and one hand with a sword fighting off the enemy. Offense and defense. Just one won't win you a Super Bowl. You got to have both. You got to have both. So, my question for you this morning, before we sing Cornerstone, Jesus being the cornerstone, what a great way to end a message like this. But my question for you is, where are you in this chapter? Are you discouraged? Are you fighting? Are you burning out? Are you feeling threatened? Where are you in this passage? And where do you need to claim the promises of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus over your life. It's easy for me to say, don't quit. It's easy for me to say, get a plan. It's easy for me to say, be prepared. It's easy for me to say, don't get discouraged in your wilderness because God's preparing something for you. You've got to believe it. You've got to trust the God of the Bible that he has you right where he wants you to use you for his glory and his good. Our God will fight for us. The battle belongs to him. Will you surrender? So God, this morning... Thank you. Thank you for two things. Thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you that you are right on time. God, your truth is living and active and knows exactly what we need. 
And so this morning, I pray for the one that's being criticized. God, that you would remind them of who they are. That they are your beloved. That, they, that, you, that you are crazy about them. That you care about them so much that while they were yet lost in the center, you sent your son to die for them. That you had them on your mind on the cross. All of their brokenness. All of their shame. And help them to confidently walk out of here, not in their own strength, but in yours. God, I pray for the one that feels threatened. God, I pray that you give them the strength that comes from you to stand. To keep going. To be bold. For you. Not for their agenda and their opinions. May we not twist this passage to meet and tickle our own ears, but God, to, for you and your purposes and your glory. And God, I pray for those in this room that might be feeling burned out, fatigued, frustrated, fearful. Three major signs of burnout. And God, I pray that you give them rest. Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. That we would mount up on eagles' wings. That you would carry us. That you would remind us that it's you that fight for us. We are not alone. We are not in our own strength. This is yours. And so we, may we not fall into the trap, either for ourselves or for others. May we not fall into the trap like St. Ballot did. May we not go on without considering your power in our lives and in our situations. God, you are in our midst. And you want to work and you want to move. May we get out of the way if we are in the way that you may have full permission and authority here in our lives as we're going for your glory. Give us strength now even as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray.